Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Advanced Cosmeceuticals and Lutronic, leaders in cosmeceuticals, medical and laser devices. Davin and Nick, how are you guys? Thanks for joining us this morning on the podcast. Nice and uh, early start for everybody. No worries, mate. <laughs> Great to be Not here. Thanks. <laughs> so, what's been happening? Um, we haven't, well, Davin, we haven't spoken to you in a little while. I know that um, Jake had a little uh, catch up with you when he was in Brisbane. Oh, was it about what two months ago now? I, I got treated like royalty. Got taken out for dinner. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Went for ribs and uh, beer. Mate, my, my, my pleasure. Always good catching up with uh, with my colleagues. Yeah. Oh, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. And Nick, you've had some nice downtime, just relaxing. I gather over over Christmas time. Very much so. And then come the eleventh, it all started with a bang again. So I think it's going to be another busy year. Excellent. Now, guys, you, you're both um, sort of experienced inside aesthetics guests now, but um, for people who maybe missed your, your episodes in the past and will refer them back to those, can you just give them a little flavor of, you know, your backgrounds, your training and, and who you are? So maybe we'll start with Davin and then we'll come to Nick. Yeah, um, so my name's Davin, Davin Lim. I'm a simple dermatologist. Um, <laughs> I basically laser, peel, cut, inject um, and treat a lot of melasma. <laughs> And what about you, Nick? You work for Advanced Cosmeceuticals? Advanced Cosmeceuticals. So I'm a scientist by trade. Um, and I've worked in capital equipment and medical sales for coming up to 16 years now. Yeah. So the last seven has been in aesthetics and I absolutely love it. Yeah, so awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. So today we're um, here to talk about melasma and we thought who better to get on um, than Mr. Davin Lim um, and Nick from Advanced Cosmeceuticals to talk about, well, the equipment that you guys, well, that Nick, that uh, Davin uses to treat it and some of the protocols and Nick to tell us about the company and a little more on the specifications of equipment. So exciting episode. I mean, melasma seems to be this um, issue that plagues a lot of people, particularly women um, around pregnancy, um, hormonal changes in the body in general. So sometimes the pill and it seems to be it's been historically very, very difficult to treat, very stubborn. Um, sometimes it comes back, sometimes treatments could make it worse. So we thought, let's get to the bottom of it today and talk to the experts. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think melasma is one of those conditions where I always say it's probably the most humbling condition to treat because if you're a gun dermatologist and you're a gun operator and you see sometimes the most basic melasma, um, it'll sometimes it'll blow you away because when you do all the good treatments and the patient's photoprotecting, You've got all the right equipment and it's still persistent. You've made minimal impact even after 10 weeks. So I think when you look at the majority of patients, we can say that um, we can help the majority of patients. I think probably about 80, 90%. But you still have that 10, 15%. No matter what you do, no matter how compliant they are, uh, your melasma can still be very persistent and resistant to treatment. So it's a very humbling disorder to treat. And Nick, from um, sort of a, a company perspective, what, what are your um, therapists and, and clinics saying about melasma? Like traditionally prior to getting hold of your equipment, would, would you also agree that they were struggling and, you know, it was sort of a chronic problem that was sort of like, well, really sorry, that's just how it is. 
partly I think there was a lot of misunderstanding about what melasma was. Um, it depends, obviously, on who we're talking to, whether it is a dermatologist like Davin or a dermal therapist. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions on the market as to what exactly it is and the best pro protocols and modalities to treat it. So that's where I sort of step in and go, okay, you know, we need to look at this type of, you know, Q-switch laser or a thulium or other types of laser and light-based therapies to treat melasma. But in essence, there's a lot of confusion about it and, what to, and how to actually treat it effectively. So that's where I think that I can, you know, obviously assist with these clinics. Yeah, I actually put up um, a story last night just to sort of promote that we're going to have Davin um, on again. And many of the questions were exactly as you said, you know, can you use a laser because I heard that heat's going to make, you know, the problem worse. And, you know, is this something that is it I'm ever going to get on top of? People are just sort of pulling their hair out with this mm. type of issue. So um, hopefully we can answer some questions yeah. for people. Well, um, maybe let's start at the beginning. Um, what is melasma, Davin? Can you just tell us what it is, how it manifests, um, all the different ways in terms of how it can affect people? Let's just let's start at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, if we go right to basics, the disorder of pigmentation. So it affects approximately 10 to 30% of women globally. Certainly for men, it can affect men, but you're looking at somewhere about 2 to 5%. So it's much lower in males. Certainly, this suggests a gen not only a uh, um, genetic predisposition, but also a hormonal predisposition. So traditionally, it's been associated with the pill, but um, I think there's more association with things, for, for example, like pregnancy. So it's genetic and it's modified by environment. And the biggest factor for the environment, obviously, is uh, UV from the sun. However, um, the action spectrum, in other words, the wavelengths of light which can activate melasma goes all the way from the UV visible and believe it or not, infrared. So people who cook a lot, stoves, saunas, it all makes a difference. And that's why it's a bugger to treat because you've got such a broad spectrum which can provoke the disorder. I guess people are saying, uh, well, thinking in terms of you're talking about pigment. When you think about pigment, you're thinking about freckles, age spots. So how does this actually manifest in the skin? What does it look like? I mean, from my understanding, it's like a cloudy sort of, yeah. you know, it looks like someone's like sort of painted your face with like a really light color um, yeah. yeah. So basically, it can present in many different ways around your forehead area. So central forehead, you can have it around the temples. It, it occurs around the eyes, but interestingly, it spares the orbital margin. So basically, where you, almost where your sunglasses or glasses sit, it spares <laughs> the inside to that. And you can almost draw it. Like you say, you can almost like a paintbrush and draw a line around the uh, around it. So it differs from post-inflammatory pigmentation in the fact that melasma is generally well demarcated. So if you can draw the line, generally speaking, it's melasma. Certainly there's other rare variants, you know, um, outside the face, neck, mandibula. But look, the common variant around the eyes, sparing the orbital rim, uh, and also affects your temples and forehead and your upper lip. And why is it sort of self-selecting the face? Why aren't you getting pigmentation, you know, anywhere else? Or I mean, you can a little bit, but why is it the sort of the central face area and the cheeks? Yeah, that's one of life's great mysteries, mate. <laughs> Is there? Certainly, I think when I look at receptors, there's certainly receptor uh, expression, gene expression is different on different parts. So yeah. that could be the one of the uh, things as well. But it can also affect the, the neck. And, you know, realistically, I probably see about two or three cases affects the uh, arms as well. So um, it, it, I think common things occur commonly face. Uh, we really don't know. It's probably re receptor selectivity on the face. I've got a theory. And this is just a theory. I reckon evolutionary, yeah, yeah. it may be a marker that this person's already had a baby. 
And therefore, you know, if you're a caveman looking for a mate, maybe you look for someone else. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Oh, mate, that's actually a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'll bring yeah. it up. You guys should write a paper on yeah, that. You can, do a, you can do a post on that, Davin, and, and uh, sort of um, give me the royalties. <laughs> so um, you sort of explained the, the, the rate at which it affects men and women, but are there particular, I guess, uh, races or people with genetic backgrounds that are more susceptible to melasma? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, the, the, generally speaking, the darker you are, the more common it is. Um, uh, so, certainly the Asians, uh, African Americans, as well. One of the highest rates, believe it or not, is from Nepal. Yeah, so I see a disproportionate amount of Nepalese, uh, oh. literally three or four per week. Uh, and then, when you look at even the incidents in South America, I think there's uh, tribes in Peru where it's almost uh the expression is almost a hundred percent so wow. it's almost a hundred percent women that's why i say it's genetic as well uh, because it does run in families and certainly certain races are more predisposed to it now obviously you know you've mentioned it's it's hormonal due to pregnancy maybe um the pill what what hormone exactly is happening and why what, what's it doing what's the physiology why is it driving the pigment yeah, it's probably estrogen because when you look at um, pigmentation in pregnancy, whether it be uh, you know linear, um, denser, or, or basically you know, the darkening of certain mucous membranes in pregnancy, that's usually estrogen related. So remember, melasma also can can be due to hormone replacement therapy. So HRT. Sometimes we see a second spike, usually around 50, 50 years of age, and that's probably due to the estrogens and the HRT as well. Mm. Once again, it's not the sole cause. In the context of the oral, a little bit uh, ambiguous with that because some studies show that it, it initiates the actual melasma, but coming off the pill or changing the pill to a progesterone-only pill uh, does not make much difference in the context of established melasma. Right. So I think estrogen is an important uh, instigator. Right. And would that affect men the same way or is it just genetic for men? So I guess men that have hormonal imbalances which is possible maybe through puberty and you get these sort of weird things happening same sort of story no i think for males it's a little bit more complex because we see uh you know melasma and in, in for males who are you know basically not on estrogen therapy so i think more commonly it's probably genetic but obviously modified by uh, uv exposure as well right and what makes melasma different to other pigmentation, you know, freckles and, and moles and just, you know, going out in the sun and getting a tan? What, why is it different? Yeah, so we, we touched on the etiology. So we, talk, we touched on the actual spectrum uh, of, of uh, light or, or radiation, which can make it worse. That's probably the key because all the others that you mentioned, uh, including things like moles and freckles, Generally speaking, uh, it's you know UVB, UVA. Melasma is one of those where it goes all the way to visible, but past visible as well into infrared. Right. I guess to understand, it's more complex than that. You now we can go into the histopathology, uh, but look, I guess from a clinical point of view, uh, to understand that it, it's probably important to know the action spectrum. Yeah. So which is basically the wavelengths. Right. So for those people that are, know they have a genetic predisposition, it runs in their family, their mum had it, their grandma had it, whatever, what can people do to maybe reduce their, their sort of risk factor? What, is there anything, you know, proactively they can do, other, I guess, maybe avoiding the sun? Is there anything else? Yeah, 100%. It's sun. Um, so I think, look, as a dermatology registrar, 20 years ago, there's, there used to be the story which um, my bosses used to tell me, yeah, in 
every melasma patient gets the same story uh, where, where they point some Japanese, and I can't, I can't, for the life of me, I can't find that paper, but they had <laughs> Japanese paper literally 30, 40 years ago. Can't be replicated again. So dig this. They got patients with melasma, women with melasma, and they locked them up for 30 days. <laughs> Basically, wow. no patients with no light. 100% of those improved. So you, you imagine, I mean, you try to do that in the ethics trial now, nah, that, they'll just laugh at you. But things like that, I guess, are groundbreaking because it really shows no matter what you do, if you protect from the sun, melasma can be treated. Um, so the newer, I guess, studies now have suggested that um, your melasma area severity index, called the MARSI, can decrease 50% just with sun protection. So you don't have to have lasers, you don't have the creams, it's just just Good old sun protections, a 50% decrease in melasma. Mm. So that's a take home message, guys. Yeah. And not that this is a sort of a sun protection podcast, but do you have any favored sun creams that you particularly recommend to, you know, to block out the most UV, UVA and UVB? Yeah, I guess in Australia it's regulated by, um, by the TGA. But if you look at the action spectrum of melasma, it understands UVB, UVA visible in IR. There's very few sunscreens out there that actually protect against this uh, spectrum. Yeah. But Mito Aesthetic makes a really good one. It's called Milan 130. It's actually 131 SPF, but they've labeled it as 130. The sunscreen itself contains um, a hybrid sunscreen. So basically you have your chemicals, but you also have your uh, physical slash mineral sunscreen. And that add titanium dioxide with it, uh, but also zinc oxide. So... Um, that's probably the standout uh, sunscreen when it comes to photoprotection for melasma. Yeah. The downside about it, it's uh, close to 80 bucks for uh, for 50 mils, which is, uh, so if you, if you do the quick math, if you're using between three to five mils per application uh, uh, each time and you're doing it twice a day, that bottle in theory should last you between 10 to 12 days. Yeah. So basically you're buying four to five bottles Per, uh, per month, yeah, yeah, uh, at, at eighty bucks each. So yeah. that's probably the standout one. I don't think many people can afford that, especially when it comes to um, the amount that needs to be used. So for me, the second line is things like you know La Roche Posay and the Invisible Zinc. They're still very good sunscreens. Uh, they come in at probably a third of the price, um, but the best sunscreen that you can afford. We're going to get onto the way that you treat these things at the moment when we get onto the equipment from advanced cosmeceuticals and the lasers. But in terms of how it's treated, I guess, historically, how would you normally go about treating it traditionally before, I guess, how you're treating it now? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, we, um, we should basically say, in fact, look, I, I think a lot of my colleagues want it so hard that a lot of them, medical colleagues just go, look, you know, um, we're not going to treat it. It's like, um, you know, we're just going to use sunscreen and, and that's it and send them away to a um to a colleague uh some of us treat it so in the past and when i say in the past even 10 years ago we used to treat this with um high strength hydrocodone so anywhere between five to eight percent um and then when it comes to peels we used to do these epic peels things like uh, medium depth tca peels or tca jesna and i used to do them as well you know before the actual event of, of q switch lasers and now and now in understanding the results look bloody fantastic at week one. Uh, so <laughs> 10 days out, it looks awesome because if you think about logic, this epi epidermal melasma and you've taken away a good part of the epidermis and probably the top part of the papillary dermis, you've removed essentially all the pigment in the epidermis and some of the pigment in the dermis as well. 
So obviously at week two, it looks absolutely awesome. People think you're a frigging god because you've just removed <laughs> all of melasma. You can do the same trick with erbium and CO2 laser. And once again, it's just a trick because it's uh, it's misleading. Then all look fantastic at week two. And then rebound at week four, it starts coming back and it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at you know week eight to week 12, You've got melasma, but also probably post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So mm. it looks absolutely shite at, uh, at yeah. month two. And that would be quite um, traumatic for the patient because I'm assuming melasma is something that affects people quite deeply on an emotional level, very sensitive about it. They think, great, it's gone. you know, oh, And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, it's back. It would be quite quite traumatic. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, it is, you know, for that kind of melasma where we're doing big, big uh, peels and, and big lasers for that's probably one of the most traumatic things uh, to, to, under, to undertake, yeah. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you know, we're so backward in Australia that even Medicare now still has that, from what I understand, still has that as a treatment, where if you treat more than something like 70% of pigment on your face, aka melasma, um, uh, with a, a strong chemical peel, uh, you get a rebate back from uh, from Medicare. Well, stuff like this, you know, it's so outdated that it should never be in that schedule. Yeah. Uh, but that's Medicare for you. <laughs> so do you think that um, patients should be touching base with their GP first or should they be getting a referral immediately to a dermatologist, obviously experienced in, you know, potentially yeah, laser I, treatments? I, I think to be fair, if you get your diagnosis right and um, and the GP can treat, for example, with uh, with topicals plus the sunscreen, patients can get a really good response. So not everyone needs to see a dermatologist, certainly for mild, moderate cases Mm -hmm. uh, where they have not tried just the usual sun protection uh, and even something as simple as hydroquinone. Probably a GP or cosmetic GP is the first first step because I do think that they can make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And for things like topicals, um, do they have to be compounded or do they come in a certain brand? How often are you using them and how quickly do you start seeing results? Yeah, actually, good uh, good question. In fact, <laughs> just out of the and the, coincidentally, this morning I was just doing some formulation. So um, the the bottom line is this: the compounded stuff, generally speaking, do much better. So anything above two percent HQ, two percent hydroquinone, do do better. Mm-hmm. So in Australia, uh, you can get up to two percent hydroquinone over the counter. So something like Superfade generally contains hydroquinone and some salicylic acid. Mm-hmm. After two percent, you do need a script. Um, so my view is that, and I've just published this as well, my, my view is that hydroquinones, they probably are the gold standard, right? And then everything else, whether you look at your arbitin, your licorice, your botanicals, your ascorbic acid, your azoic acid, your systemine, they all come a distant second or distant third. Yeah. So I would still say HQ is the mainstay. Um, compounded needs a script. Less than 2, 2% or less does not need the script. Everything else, uh, generally speaking, is not scripted. Yeah. Uh, unless obviously it's something like uh, retinoic acid. Mm. And where have practitioners typically gone wrong in the past with, with you know with treating melasma? I've seen situations with friends of mine that have had to had treatments and it's actually gotten worse. So where, do, what's happening there? Yeah, I think a couple of things: patient factors and then uh, treatment factors. So patient factors, you have not counselled the patient enough in regards to sun protection. The biggest hurdle for me, longest part of the consult I do um, is actually sun protection. Because when you eyeball melasma, generally speaking with, you know, your woods light or dermatoscope and, and just visual examination, you can understand the depth, you can understand the disorder, you can understand the prognosis, generally speaking, in, in basically 10 to 20 seconds. 
the hardest bit for me is trying to extract that uh, piece of information, which is sun protection. Because with melasma, you got to pick the fights. Uh, you, you don't you don't want to treat everyone with slash, you know, a laser slash peel. You want to see which patients are compliant and which patients will do well. Mm. Because, for example, you now I've treated you know I've treated a lot of triathletes and a lot of Olympic athletes who've got melasma. And if, for example, someone's a triathlete, you have no hope, zero, um, of treating melasma. For me, it's trying to pick the fight uh, which you know you're going to win. That's the first thing, right? And then uh, that, that's basically patient factors. You want to make sure that they understand by the protection. And then your equipment factors in the way you treat your parameters. So generally speaking, if you have uh, skin which is reactive post-treatment, you've gone wrong. So you've overcooked it. Right. So when, when it comes to things like you know um, lasers, when it comes to peels, <clears throat> you want minimal endpoint with it. So that's just that's just basically the philosophy. Whether you use anything, you want minimal uh, you want minimal reactivity. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise the melanosome will hit you back. Mm. I know lots of injectable patients who I met have had things like, you know, I don't know, um, hair on the upper lip sort of tried yeah. to be treated with laser hair removal and then they turn, end up with like a brown strip. They end up with a problem that they never anticipated and then it's sort of there for life. Yeah, to be fair, I think those are hard to pick because, for example, someone may have a predisposition from Malaysia. They come to see you in, in the middle of winter, which is, you know, in, even though it's quite mild in, in, in Sydney, Melbourne, it's still less UV and they may not have melasma gone wrong many a times where I look at them and, and you know I might plan for a fraxel or CO2 or even something as simple as hair removal I look at them I can't see the melasma or the melasma may be so faint mm. uh, and next thing you know hair removal <laughs> yeah. and, and you get good going melasma so I think to be fair some of those cases um, are very hard to pick yeah yeah so let's talk about how you treat them at the moment, when a patient comes in, um, your process of assessing, and then let's talk about some of the equipment that you use. Yep. So equipment-wise, I think uh, once again, gentle is best. So uh, even though I have <laughs> a lot of lasers, my <laughs> go-to is basically the old spectra laser, which is the Q-switch laser, uh, and it's a nano laser. So just for you guys out there, the pigment lasers can can be broadly categorized into nano and pico. So pico are the newer ones with a very short pulse duration. Nano are the older ones. Mm-hmm. So the old ones are the ones that uh, are, are called Q-switch lasers. So doesn't mean if it's old, it's bad, because you've got to use the correct equipment based upon what you presented with. Yeah. And, and given in melasma, even though I have eco lasers, I still use nano lasers, first line treatment. Okay. And I guess taking this a couple of steps back, you mentioned a couple of questions ago that the pigmentation in melasma is quite superficial. So really, Mm. whichever device you're using, we're sort of targeting quite a superficial layer. Would that be correct? Yeah. So basically the the pigment can be either superficial, epidermal, dermal, um, or, or mixed. So most commonly it's mixed. But generally speaking, most melasma, you have a disproportionate amount sitting in the epidermis. That's where your melanocytes are. Yeah. Right, on the basement membrane. So generally speaking, for most lasers, we, like you suggest, we don't want to go very deep. Uh, we, we want to go deep enough um, where we use something like the 1064 wavelength. goes oh. a little bit, goes deeper than something like the 755 Alex on 810. So you want to go deep enough, but you don't want to actually uh, upset the melanocyte. So yeah. your energy levels are going to be very, very uh, um, low. So what you want to do instead of um, 
the, the analogy of this, instead of using a club to beat the hell out of the Milano side, <laughs> you'll never win because you'll absolutely never win. Yeah. You try to beat the hell out of it, uh, it's just going to shrivel back and it's just going to take another club and just hit you. So yeah. what you got to do is just basically you just got to whisper. Whisper to the Milano side and go, go to sleep. Yeah. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Maybe I could just bring Nick in just for a sec because there'll be people who maybe are new to lasers. They may have missed our yeah. first episode with Davin. Can you just basically talk about the, you know, just the technology? What, what is a laser? What's it doing? What are the various frequencies that Davin just alluded to? Just to sort of yeah. ground some people who might be like, well, sounds a bit scary to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, essentially a laser is a light-based device which delivers a particular wavelength to the tissue or to the target chromophore. So essentially uh, a laser light or an IPL light is looking for either melanin, hemoglobin or water. They're the main chromophores that light is attracted to when using light-based therapy. So depending on what you'd like to treat, obviously with melasma, we're looking at the melanin. We can also look at the hemoglobin, but it's more of a melanin-based type of a treatment that we're wanting to do. Now, the device that Davin has been speaking about being a Q-switch, uh, again, that's, a, as he said, a nanosecond device. So it's a billionth of a second uh, pulse duration. So it's very, very fast. And what that with that also comes uh, what you would call a photoacoustic effect. So it's essentially able to uh, break down the melanin and the melanocytes using a sound wave, not just heat, mm. which makes it very effective for things like melasma. So the device that uh, Lutronic and Advanced Cosmeceuticals have is the Spectra XT, uh, which is essentially um, you know, the world's most sold Q-switch laser. It's been around for many years. But as Davin has said, gentle parameters, very effective for those types of conditions. So really with laser and IPL, you know, you can treat a variety of different conditions. It's all about choosing the right uh, speed of delivery of the light and the right wavelength, the right color of light. So an NDAG, for example, is a 1064, 1064 nanometers, which is infrared. Then you have other different wavelengths in the visible spectrum, all the way up to a CO2, which is 10,600 nanometers. So each, each time you are assessing a patient or looking at how I'm going to use light-based therapy, you're thinking about which chromophore am I targeting, what sort of wavelength of light, and how fast I'd like to deliver that light. Mm. And that's essentially in a nutshell what lasers do. Yeah. So we mentioned um, the term Q-switch, and I, I know that sort of refers to um, the speed at which that energy is delivered, but why do you need, maybe Davin or Nick, um, why do you need such a fast delivery of that energy to, to sort of affect that pigment? Davin, I think you can answer this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, there's, there's two things. The, uh, the pigment itself, look, in the context of melasma, even though we're treating pigment, uh, it's a pigmentary disorder, but... <laughs> It's not the actual uh, uh, Q-switching. So if you think about logically, we do not want to shatter the pigment, right? So traditionally, when it comes to treating, uh, for example, birthmarks, tattoos, we want to shatter that and we want to use a, a, a very short pulse duration with a relaxation time uh, less than the actual uh, um, object itself. So in the context of melasma, even though we're using Q-switch lasers with a short pulse duration, the idea is not to actually treat the pigment. The idea is to reduce the activity of the uh, pigment cell, which is your melanocyte. Yep. So even though we're using pigment lasers, the uh, the concept is there, but the execution is totally different. Mm -hmm. And that's why that's why we do not want uh, uh, good endpoints. For example, we we don't want frosting. We don't want significant redness. We just want a, 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 a parameter 
by which we can hear a couple of pings. I call it the ping or snap, mm-hmm. where some chromophore is hit, hit, which is the melanin. But at the end of the day, you want to shrink down the cell. So it works very differently compared to uh, uh, traditional lasers where we want to actually target the pigment itself. Right. That's the main concept, yeah. Can I ask a question? So this probably should have asked this at the start. Why aren't we treating the cause, which is the hormone, and not just, you know, the the pigmentation itself? Yeah, yeah, that's a good... Like, for many years, we've been been exploring that, and, and it's far more complex because... When it's just been the last probably five, 10 years, we understand the actual um, biochemistry and the physiology of, of melasma. Mm-hmm. So apart from the hormones, the hormones are probably one in, you know, 28, 29 other factors, which, uh, which, which make it worse. So it's everything from, uh, you know, vascular inputs from your blood vessels to, to the, we mentioned that UV, the genetics, but we also know now that there's a lot of involvement with the cells, with your keratinocytes, but also your fibroblast muscle. So it's exquisitely uh, complex. Yeah. So we still, I mean, it's one of those life's great mysteries, yeah, or, or don't great mysteries, because we, we keep finding every couple of years, we keep finding new advances from melasma. And I think over the past, you know, with the Q-switch, which Nick mentioned, literally over the past uh, probably eight years, we've probably made the biggest advancement of, of for melasma uh, than, than we've ever had in this in, in this lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think that the, the 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 future looks bright, and we're discovering new things every year. Mm. So could you take us through like your treatment protocols with using the, the Spectra XT? Yeah. So look, just, just to um, talk a little bit more about the Spectra, uh, which Nick talked about. The I think that when it comes to melasma, especially in the context of uh, low endpoint, the most important feature of a laser is not about the power. So when we're treating melasma, it's not about it's not about the power. When we're treating other skin, uh, other pigment disorders, certainly power comes into it. But when it comes to melasma, the most important fact by far uh, is that we want consistent levels of power. We don't want we don't want big power. We just want consistent levels. Mm. But this is where the spectra comes in, uh, uh, you know, head and shoulders above what's what's on the market now. So when, when people are looking at, well, you know, how this, why can't I get a, you know, Korean Q-switch laser that <laughs> costs, you know, ten thousand US? Mate, <laughs> yeah. like, it's just not. It's just going to fire shit all over the place. Yeah, you, your parameters are just going to be way off, and you just you need really good power. You don't need really good power. You just need really good consistency. So just to mention, there are many other uh, devices out there. And the things that I've used, apart from Spectre, I've used quite a fair few Q-switches. I've been through about three or four different companies. Uh, and it does not mean that you know the cheap stuff is, is, is good. And it doesn't mean that the more expensive stuff is better. Uh, you just need a consistent level. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to illustrate... If you're off by 0.1 joule, uh, you can you can flare up melasma. So just to give you an idea, sometimes the laser goes, you know, the variance goes up to um, you know up to up to four joules and zero to four joules. If you're off by 0.1, 0.2, you've cooked it. Wow. So this is why it's so important to have a, a precise um, uh, laser. So to get back to your question, we got how I approach it. We talked about sun protection. Secondly, I'll I'll add a um, pigment inhibitor. So something like HQ. Um, thirdly, I might add something which modifies a blood vessel, so something uh, like T-acid, chandamic acid. Hmm. Um, and then that's when the lasers and the peels come in. So most often, for most of the patients which I see, I've, I've a skewed population because they would have tried quite a fair few things before seeing me. 
look, ninety probably about ninety five percent of the time, my my go to would be the um, would be the Spectra. So. Um, the protocols which I follow are, are not something which I invented. It's certainly something which I followed by um, what's in the literature. So the Koreans uh, gave this really good synopsis of how to treat melasma using Q-switch lasers probably about eight years ago. Um, so that it's a big word. It's called subcellular selective photothermolysis, which is basically whispering to the melanocyte to keep quiet. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's, that's a protocol which you do every two to four weeks uh, using a big spot size. And basically, like I said, all you want to do is just get that melanocyte to be quiet. Uh, and you, you do small treatments over a long period of time. So I always tell patients, big treatments, big costs, big risks, uh, possibly big gains, but not worth it in melasma. Right. And how do patients sort of tolerate these treatments? What's, what's the patient experience like in terms of, obviously, you have your consult, how tolerable is the treatment, recovery, you know, what should they do during that recovery process as well? So, so this is the we call it dermal toning setting. So basically, the recovery is yeah is immediate. So if you cooked it, if they've got um, you know uh, frosting or they've got significant redness or even swelling, you way cooked it. Yeah. Um, in the context of does it hurt? It's basically like nettle sting. So basically, it, it's on the scale from one to ten, it's probably something like a one or a two at the most. Right. Uh, it hurts a lot. You've cooked it. So. <laughs> so no local anesthetic needed. No anesthetic needed. No. It's, it's like a paintbrush technique, uh, and, and it takes probably about five to ten minutes. Uh, warm sensation, mild warm sensation, a little bit prickly, but very tolerable. Okay. Yeah. And Nick, when, when you're sort of putting one of these devices, the Spectra XT, into a clinic, what, what's the sort of the learning curve for therapists? How different is it to, to other lasers that um, were previously used for that type of condition? It really does come down to who the person is who's going to be using the device and their experience, number one. But as Davin said, the protocols that Lutronic have for the Spectra XT um, are, are essentially your go-to. You know, if you can follow them and, again, be aware of what type of endpoints you're looking at, you can really start to treat melasma very effectively. But I think it all comes down to experience. You know, if I'm, if I'm placing a, a spectra with a clinic or a physician who's used Q-switch before, there's a little bit of re-education about what type of settings to use. They'd be typically used to using other manufacturer settings, which, like Davin said, may cook the melasma. So really it's about going, okay, let's do this slowly and calmly. And, you know, again, follow the protocols that we have and just see, see, see what the result is. So the learning curve can be varied. But essentially, we do have clinical training, obviously, included with every device that we do on cell. And that's key to having effective and safe treatments for the patients. Okay. And to summarize, it's a, it's a non-ablative laser, correct? It's yeah. a non-ablative laser, that's right, yes. Yeah. All right, perfect. Looking back at the papers, like the original papers, it's quite interesting. So, you know, I always like to look back and go, who the hell figured this one out? Because if you think about it logically... Um, it's between five to ten treatments. So there's some smart guy out there, like I forgot, I forgot his name. I think it was uh, Kim something. So from the Korean paper, yeah. So basically, you have one guy out there. So he traditionally we've managed melasma, like I said, with the hard hitting techniques. Uh, and even before this low fluence Q switch laser, you know, even ten years ago, when I look at my settings, I'm using you know three times the power which I'm using now. And once again, it's not because I'm a cowboy. What the, what's what the papers were back then. Mm. So you had this one dude who just goes, look, you know what? I'm just going to use this low setting um, and see what happens. 
But the main thing with this guy is that he's got bloody persistence because you don't get a result within the first nor the second, but you may <laughs> start to see something within the third and, and then it starts to improve from the fourth and fifth. So you've got some dude who's just sitting there and just going, no, this hasn't worked, but you know what? I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, and right. keep doing that and go, holy moly, after five treatments, um, man, this is starting to work. Yeah. I mean, guys like myself, after the first treatment, I'll get, oh, it hasn't worked. I might stick for the second. Second, they go, nah, it's not working. Nah, I'm going to move on. Yeah. So yeah. it's phenomenal how this one person stuck to his guns and came up with this parameter. And it's, um, yeah. That stuff just amazes me, yeah. And that's actually a really good point when it comes to expectation and patient compliance. I mean, you know, so many people are going to be investing, you know, probably a decent amount of money per treatment. Um, they've suffered with this maybe for many years. And, you know, people lose faith with this stuff quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you're also saying to them, look, you've basically got to hide from the sun forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it does take a bit of time. So are you saying it's about two to three weeks between each session, something like that? Yeah. About two, two to three weeks between each session, and generally speaking, you, you get a change usually about the probably yeah. about the fourth session between the yeah. third to fifth session. So it's, um, yeah, that's like a two. That's like a two to three month commitment, basically, for someone to see a result. Yeah, 100%. So yeah. Yep. Um, I know you're talking. We we use that use that term. You know, you're uh, whispering to the melanocytes, but what's actually happening? What's this energy actually doing to those cells to actually calm them down? Yeah, so basically it's stunning the melanocytes, so it's stunning the cell. Um, and they've got these little arms like an octopus, so they call them dendritic processes. And those arms basically transfer the melanin in packages to the uh, to the big, uh, to the keratinocytes, which are skin cells. Right. So you just imagine this octopus, which is basically transferring stuff Yeah, with all these arms. What you want to do is just shrink it down. So the transfer is less. Uh, we don't want to blow the packets up. So I guess that's the main concept to understand. You don't want to actually target the packets which they're transferring of pigment. What you want to do is you want to reduce the transfer rate. Right. Like conveyor belt to slow it down. Right. And assuming that you're successful after the five treatments and they get a significant reduction or it's gone altogether, how susceptible are people uh, in terms of reoccurrence? Is it as soon as they go back out in the sun or have you done something with those treatments that are going to give them a long-lasting result that they can still live a rel live a relatively normal existence. Yeah, existence. Well, I mean that's the point. <laughs> that empire, the empire's ink. Um, yeah. No, the um, uh, the cure rates uh, are zero. <laughs> so right. it's, if someone's melasma has gone, I have not done anything to it. Although it's basically a genetic activation, and in, in, you know your melanocytes are now normal. So the cure rate, I think, in my hands, is probably zero percent. <laughs> I like right. to say that. Yeah, uh, but then. Your recurrence rate is yeah 100%. Um, and, but what we've got to do is you come up with a treatment strategy and then you come up with a maintenance strategy. So it's like we call it rotational basis. We do, as derms, we do this a lot for all the chronic diseases, whether it be atopic eczema, psoriasis, um, disorders of keratinization. We basically come up with a rotational therapy. So I call it depigmenting phase and then the maintenance phase. So once we get melasma as good as realistically possible we can get it, uh, we come up with a maintenance phase. And that phase usually means coming off your um, high-strength creams and generally speaking, um, extending the uh, course of laser treatments every two weeks. You might want to extend it every four, six, eight weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically leave Australia after you've had treatment. <laughs> Go move to yep. the UK. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did have a question. Um, oh yeah, how much does each session cost? I mean, maybe not Davin Nim prices, but <laughs> average prices. 
Uh, but look, I think, I, I think uh, to be fair, um, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not the judge of shitland for, for uh, other stuff, but then, but then for melesma, I think it's just that we do it so much. Yeah. Like we really do a lot of cases, um, anyway, up to 15, 20 cases per day, every day. Wow. Uh, and I, I don't treat patients. I don't, so I don't, I, I write the protocols, uh, but my therapists treat them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, believe it or not, we don't charge much at all. So we're looking at just over 120, 130 bucks per treatment, which is virtually that's it, it, fantastic. It's yeah. Basically, my my gift, my medical gift to um, to patients out there, saying, look, you know, this is a, a disorder where we know it impacts you massively. Yeah. Um. You know, we, I know that you know in, in the severe cases, it's not a cosmetic uh, uh, treatment; it's a medical treatment. Yeah. If you think about it logically, if vitiligo per se is, and, and you know, we, we look at the Medicare rebates for vitiligo, that's huge. The phototherapy basically is subsidized uh, 50 odd bucks uh, yeah. per, per treatment, and vitiligo patients can have three or four per week. So Medicare subsidizes between 150 to 200 bucks per patient every week. One year, it's subsidizing upwards of $7,000. This is taxpayers' money on vitiligo. Mm. So vitiligo, white, white, you know, white patches on someone who's skin type 1, skin type 2, impact certainly is there, but it's minimal when it comes to a visual. Melesma uh, on someone, you know, skin type 1, 2, or even 3, uh, it's very hard to, to, to cover it up. The, and uh, the rebate for that is zero. Yes. Right. So you've got white spots. I give you seven seven thousand to ten thousand rebate per year. Uh, brown zero. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think you know I, I don't charge much at all is, is because of just just for that, that basic comparison. It, it, to me, it's a medical disorder if it is that severe. Yeah, yeah. Right. And to be fair, you said that people are going to be doing this ongoing. You know, w- with cycles yeah. of treatment and maintenance potentially forever. So it, you know, it does mm-hmm. have to be affordable, I guess. Yeah. So, like I said, I don't charge much at all. The dermal therapists and my nurse, you know, will spend ten minutes, especially for the recurring patients. That they know the drill, um, and it doesn't take ten. It's only literally three, three, four minutes of therapy. Yeah. yeah. If that. So we're not there to hammer them with, um, you know, with stuff. Because to me, it's medical. Yes, it's massive impact on patients. And Nick, do you have a, a ballpark price for what the the device might actually cost a clinic, or is that um, is that too difficult a question? <laughs> I know, I'm an open book. I can tell you everything. So look, um, with the Spectra XT, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but look, it is one of those devices where you have a variety of different hand pieces and wavelengths that you can actually have on the system. So the price is very variant on which kind of type of configuration you have. Mm-hmm. So the very most basic configuration, which is with a single zoom handpiece, which is a 532 nanometer and a 1064 nanometer handpiece, you're looking at around about the 90,000 plus GST mark as a list price. Yeah. Um, and it can go all the way up to about 120,000 if you were to add the other four available handpieces. Okay. That's right. sort of the ballpark that you're looking at. To touch on something Davin mentioned earlier, look, there are a lot of different Q-switch NDAG lasers out there. You can get one for twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Again, it's to really consider the consistency of the results, consistency of the energy delivery. So that's where the Spectra stands out 
above the rest. It is a more expensive device, but like anything else in this world, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not a laser guru by any standards and I don't own a clinic, but if you know, you're investing say a hundred grand into a laser. And even if you've got a practice half as busy as Davin, you might see five or 10 people a day with these conditions. They're there for treatment, then maintenance, you know, that's quite a, a decent return on investment over, over a year, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. And certainly into right. year two, year three and so on. Yeah. The other thing as well is um, you can you can treat tattoos, yeah. Um, yeah. Nick? Yep. Yeah. So the good thing with the spectra is you can pretty much treat everything except larger reticular veins on the legs, for example, and hair removal. Everything else is treatable with the device. So if someone was to go to me, look, I need a, a one device which can do the majority of applications for my clinic. And yep. my first question is, do you want to do hair removal? Most times, if the answer is no, now. I said, well, look, get the Spectra and you can do 90% of what you need to for patients walking in the door. And again, being here in Queensland and other parts of Australia where pigmentary conditions like melasma are quite prevalent, that's a real advantageous thing for a clinic to have. Yeah. The ability to do, as Davin said, tatter removal, all colours, you know, um, all types of pigmentation. You can do finer telangiectasias and, um, you know, smaller vessels. So it's a very versatile device it's yeah. definitely one of my favorites that we have in our portfolio yeah well i think it's important you know davin was saying that you can only you can be off by just the, the most minuscule percentage and you can you can basically cook it and make it worse so i think that if you're treating your patients you should be using equipment that's going to be reliable and give you the result that you want and not make it worse so that's really important absolutely yeah. and look and, and again you also touched on reliability that's really important you know you want a device that you turn on every day and it works yeah uh, and that's another sort of advantage of what Lutronic can bring to the table is, you know, years of research and very efficacious and reliable devices. Brilliant. Then I think uh, earlier on when we first started talking about energy-based devices, Davin mentioned the Laser MD Ultra, which is sort of the second product we're going to discuss today. So just tell us a bit about that, Nick, first of all, maybe the tech and, and how it um, sort of slots in with uh, the Spectra that we were just discussing. Absolutely. So the, the Laser MD Ultra is the latest device from Lutronic. It's, a, I guess, a, an upgrade or an advancement from the Laser MD Pro, which we've had out for several years. It's a 1927 nanometer thulium laser. So again, if you look at the different wavelengths of light and where this would fit, it's a, it's a, a longer wavelength than the 1064 NDA, and it sits nicely between NDAG and say an erbium. Mm -hmm. So um, again, the main chromophore for this device is water, being that it's in the infrared spectrum, which sort of, I'd love Davin to maybe elaborate on this a little bit because I find it intriguing that we have a, a thulium laser, which is mainly looking for water, yet it treats pigment amazingly well. So maybe you can talk on that a bit a bit later, <laughs> Davin, but um, the Laser MD Ultra is yeah, quite, quite a fantastic uh, device. Um, and it can be used, again, for, for many different types of conditions, great for AKs, pigmentation, again, melasma. Um, you can use it for hair regrowth, those type of applications. Mm. Um, and it's got a lot of smart technology built into the device, which I'm sure Davin can also talk about a little bit using it from a practical perspective. So, look, we have the, the, the two devices available in our Thulium range, the Laser MD Pro and now the Laser MD Ultra, mm. which also has the, the widest specifications of any thulium laser and the highest power. So just to summarize in my simple laser sort of understanding, it's a multifunctional laser, but it's fractionated and non-ablative. Correct. Awesome. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for summarizing that, Jake. Yeah. That's right. 
I get way too into the technical yeah. stuff <laughs> to go back to the basics. <laughs> Just for anyone that's wondering what frac. So I guess we've we've established what non-ablative is. It doesn't it doesn't break the surface of the skin, so it's traveling via the epidermis to where it needs to go. But in terms of fractionated, what does that actually mean? Uh, a fractional laser means that essentially it's not treating the whole, like that the beam is not treating the whole area. There's, it's treating a percentage of the, the actual area of the, the treatment. Yep. Um, so it depends on what sort of density and how many passes you would do with the device as to how many sort of fractional micro channels you're delivering into the tissue. Right. So it's again different to like a full beam laser device, say for example, like the spectra that's non-fractional whereas the laser MD Ultra is a fractional. So it does leave some of the skin intact, which is what we want for, you know, wound healing and those types of things. And that, again, delivers very precise micro channels into the tissue at the desired penetration depth. Now you mentioned the word thulium. What's thulium? <laughs> thulium is just the name for a 1,927 nanometer wavelength laser. Okay, fair enough. Now, Davin, can we bring you in and just discuss how you use this in clinical practice? Yeah, look, um, the, the big elephant in the room is basically uh, how good is this compared to Fraxel? Because everyone, you know, Fraxel has been branded out there for the last bloody 10, 12 years. Yeah. Um, literally, this is very similar. I know trying to go This is very similar to a uh, Fraxel laser, uh, minus the consumables, which is um, the big plus, um, with the potential to go, uh, with the potential for high energy. Right. So. Like, like, you know, we've mentioned this in the past, when you compare lasers to like cars, yeah, um, mm -hmm. like to realize, you know, holy shit, that HSV's got 300 kilowatts um, and the Porsche's got 300 kilowatts. The, the Porsche 300 kilowatts is very different from HSV 300 kilowatts because mm -hmm. um, it's just, we just know in the, in the industry uh, that one underrates and one overrates. So you get drive to rain loss and a whole lot. Yep. So it's exactly the same with electronic devices. When they say something's 20 millijoules, it ain't 20 millijoules. It's much higher than that. When when they quote their ECO2 or their ECHO as a 30-watt laser, it ain't a 30-watt laser. It's much higher than that. So <laughs> I think the good thing with this system is that it gives you the flexibility for higher uh, parameters compared to the competitors. Mm -hmm. uh, the the uh, consumables, zero which means that can be passed on to the patient. Uh, huge, that's a huge plus because yeah. Fraxel will hit you for every single cent that you spend um, with them, right? Um, and then there are other features as well, like the stamping feature and all. So um, the when you ask me what do we treat, normally I say this, it's pigment. Pigment is the one that we treat. Pigment, skin type one, skin type two. So fair skin type pigment that's a go-to. Sun damage and pigments a go-to for that. Yeah. Certainly all the other things like Nick mentioned, you know, your your um, hair loss disorders, um, even things like melasma, certainly we can treat that. We can treat even darker skin type. But it is an unbelievable laser for, for treating skin type 1, skin type 2. So we, we can extend it from pigment to pore sizing to fine wrinkles. Mm. So those, those are the ones that, are, that re it really stands out. So in my practice, I think it's about 30, 30 energy devices. This one is probably, uh, the 1927 billion is probably the top three. So it is, you know, that wavelength is very, very good for treating uh, pigment. So Nick was mentioning how does it actually treat pigment when they're from because the target's actually water. The answer is it's another one of those life mysteries because I've actually <laughs> asked this to, to quite a fair few, uh, you know, really smart people who have who've done this a long time. In fact, the inventor of the 1927 thulium laser 
And uh, she she said basically, you know, Davin's like carpet bombing. Uh, obviously, she's American, um, so we can, you know, when, when Americans speak about carpet bombing, we I guess we can relate to that. So it doesn't treat one particular chromophore. So that's why it can affect the red, red. It can affect the brown. It can affect the water. It can give you uh, improvement in um, texture and skin quality. Yeah, fair enough. Right. And then in terms of where it fits into your melasma protocol, how do you sort of choose between the Spectra or the Laser MD? How does it sort of fit into your repertoire of, of treatment applications? Yeah, so probably about 90, 95% will be the Spectra. Um, so remember, we have that small percentage, that 10 to 15%, it's a pretty large percentage, but we're treating melasma here, um, that fail to respond with the, um, with the Spectra. And right. that's where a low density beryllium can, can come in handy. Right. So when I mean low density, I'm talking about very low, between 5 to 10% at most. Uh, and the energy settings, probably about half of the maximum at most. So usually I'm using a quarter of the max energy uh, in a very conservative manner. reason why I want to do that is a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, we can increase the permeability of the, your, your skin. So your epidermal um, barrier function can be enhanced uh, or decreased, and then you can enhance topicals uh, into the epidermis and, and hopefully into the dermis as well. So that's the first thing. The second is that with melasma, uh, there's also a uh, compromise in the basement membrane. So you're, where, where your cells are sitting on the top of your skin, you've got like a basement membrane which holds it, uh, the epidermis from the dermis, and that's often compromised in sun-damaged skin uh, and also melasma. So the thulium helps repair that basement membrane, once again, gently. Mm. Yeah. Right. And wh- why is it that those people fail to respond is it just their particular circumstances with the melasma is it genetic is it their their base skin type like yeah well, i think there's many factors so uh, certainly the top of melasma so dermal melasma so if you think about logically dermal is it's in the actual dermis where you have those melanocytes that they're the ones that are very hard to improve um so that's the first thing the second is um usually patient compliance yeah. <laughs> whether it's very good with that <laughs> sometimes they may have an accidental exposure even for that 15 minutes once a month can actually reverse stuff. Um, thirdly is also the uh, resistance to medication, for example, ochronosis. So when you're using your hydroquinones, that's why we want to rotate. So we want to make sure that it's still effective. Yeah. And fourth, which is probably the uh, most important, is if every other stuff can be excluded, it's still unknown. Right. Okay. And recovery downtime from a treatment um, for the Laze MD, what does that look like for a patient? Yeah, it's once again using very low settings, low parameters, look a little bit, a tiny bit red for probably about four to six hours. Next day, they can wear makeup easily. Um, you may be a tiny bit red and you, sh- you should have some very, very mild exfoliation at day, possibly at day, day three to day four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once again, these parameters are very conservative because, you know, with melasma, if you put in too much heat in the in the skin, um, it's not if it'll flare up the melasma, it will flare up the melasma. So you can't use hero settings uh, when you're treating melasma. You yep. can use hero settings when you're doing things like sun damage or other forms of pigment, especially in skin type 1 and 2, fair skin types. And when you're combining your laser treatments like that with your topicals, the hydroquinone, etc., can you use them straight after or do you have to hold off for a couple of days until you start getting a bit of skin healing? Yeah, so for things like uh, T-acid, topically, so you know, anywhere between 3 to 5% T-acid, 
Uh, we want to actually get it very soon after we do the uh, procedure itself because you want uh, uh, that to actually be absorbed through through the skin quicker. Yeah. So the acid certainly the when you're asking me about hydroquinone, it depends on the sensitivity of the patient. Yeah. So if they're, if they're super sensitive, um, I, I think by introducing HQ early is probably. So I probably would stick with T-acid, certainly your corticosteroids, well-documented if you use something like uh, topical corticosteroids after it can reduce the amount of um, uh, post-inflammatory pigments and reduce the amount of rebound. Mm-hmm. They can also aid delivery. Uh, and then I would say for patients, probably to re- reintroduce the HQ uh, the next day or the day after. Um, okay. Yeah. And what else are you using the Laser MD Ultra for? I mean, you said it's only a small percentage of your melasma patients. What else are you sort of primarily going to it for? Yeah, I mean, for, for sun, sun damaged skin type 1, type 2, it is unbelievable. It, there's, there's no other uh, wavelength that can give you that kind of response um, that's so easy to use yeah. so with so little downtime and relatively less, uh, um, you know, relatively cost effective uh, and minimal risk at all. So, it's probably my go-to wavelength for, for type 1, type 2 skin. Great. For wrinkles and pigment, awesome. Okay. Mm. And Nick, again, you know, people who've maybe been used to using Fraxel in the past and then they get their hands on the Laser MD, what does the training and experience look like using that new device and, uh, you know, costs involved again? Absolutely. So, again, the training is all included with the device. We normally do two days of clinical training per device. Um, the other thing we obviously do is include things like delivery, freight, installation. So everything is included. Um, with regards to the actual cost, again, the list price for the device is 98000 plus GST. So again, a similar type of a price to the Spectrum, maybe a little bit more. Um, of course, I do have a very um, amazing offer for IA listeners, which I'll talk about <laughs> later for that and other devices. Brilliant. Um, so, so again, when you're comparing the LaserMD Ultra with, again, our standard LaserMD Pro from Lutronic and other Thulium lasers, it is on the upper side. Um, but again, as I mentioned before, it is pretty much the most premium um, you know, Thulium laser that you're going to be getting on the market today. Yeah. Um, and as Davin said, there is very little that compares to it. Yeah, especially um, if you're based in the, somewhere like Queensland with that uh, sun damage, sounds like it's going to be the workhorse for, for someone like absolutely. David. Absolutely. And look, and I can speak from personal experience. Um, a, a clinic here in Brisbane uh, purchased some of my devices. Uh, one of them was the Laser MD Pro, the predecessor to the Ultra. I had two treatments a month apart. Exactly what Davin said, a little bit of redness that day. A couple of days later, that sort of sandpapery exfoliation feeling. But I had a, a patch of melasma on my right upper temple mm. um and it's 99 gone uh, not gone it's not cured it will come back <laughs> but it is managed for now but the results were quite amazing again just for general skin tone pore size um you know general freckling and pigmentation and i've had so many comments saying what's going on with you what have you done and i just said i've just had some laser nd treatments mm. well, i remember when we yeah. met you the first time for your podcast and i think the light was even better then we were like wow your skin looks awesome <laughs> what are you doing and obviously i know you're using the calisim as well um but you, you told me you'd had some treatments with the laser and we were like oh yeah it was, it was impressed yeah. i mean i don't know what you look like before but you've got good skin well, thank you. Look, and these are the first two laser treatments I've had in a good three years. Yeah. So it's um, I've been waiting, and I'm I didn't regret it at all. And I'm actually due for my third treatment in a couple of weeks' time. 
And uh, I think there was a sort of another device that we were just going to finalize um, this podcast on the resurfacing CO2 laser. So why don't we go into that? I think Davin sort of uh, referred to it as the eco. Yeah, eco. So that that's a laser for for real men. No, no, no I, I just had that laser um, uh, treatment done about a month ago. I'm still recovering a little bit of pigment here, but mate, if you're after collagen stimulation, um, there's nothing, nothing, nothing beats a CO2 laser. Right. So I, I only had one treatment, and um, I should you not the amount of collagen generation is crazy. So I've got the four photos of me healing up together with the you know side effect post-inflammatory pigment changes because I'm Asian and I just get brown Mm. um but then if you can get through that ph understand temporary mate it's just one treatment and it's done and dusted um so i have usually when when i go for laser treatments i don't muck around i normally go for a a co2 because it just works so well um my downtime is about four days five days at the most i I healed up within three and a half days with good skincare Mm. um but that's it the the i usually do one treatment every three four years yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm right for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, you look great for 60. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <mate. laughs> how do you, how would you use the, uh, ultra and the echo two together? I think top one time too, you can really hammer it. So I usually go max settings for, um, the, uh, or max density, you know, somewhere around 70, 80% density for the, for the, uh, and then um, I use the uh, ECO2 conservatively. So probably, you know, when it comes to power, probably about a third of the uh, um, maximum power. And then maybe something really conservative, like a 5-10% um, density. And that usually gives a heal-up time of about five days. But the results, it's basically just a one-off, yeah. Right. yeah you get really good reception results with that. Are you um, able to use those lasers for collagen stimulation on the body at all or is this purely face, neck sort of area? Because I guess that's, you know, it's, I know we're sort of talking about melasma, but I guess in terms of just, you know, this device in particular, collagen in the body seems to be an area where um, we are looking for the future because you get these beautifully tight faces that look youthful than this body that doesn't sort of match the face. <laughs> are, you, are you sort yeah. of able to treat the body as well? Uh, I think looking at the physiology of skin, the main thing is that, any extra facial skin has lower um, population of, of uh, hair follicles, yep. which means when you heal up from from uh, and the blade of laser, even non the blade of laser, your hair follicle provides the donor site. Now, anything off the face and neck, it's got to be done really conservatively. Mm-hmm. The other thing as well, skin on uh, the uh, the body uh, is much thicker, so your epidermis and your dermis is much thicker compared to facial areas. So this is where I think something like the RFM, radio frequency microneedling to skin tightening, can come in handy. So that's the Litronics got one called a Genius. Uh, that can be dialed into 3.5 mils. So it's literally, if you think about it logically, it's it's the inverse of the laser. So we treat from the inside out with the radio frequency microneedling. For the laser, you've got lots of collateral damage from the outside in. Right. So this where lasers come in really handy is when you when you're trying to improve skin quality, texture, pigment, fine wrinkling. But when it comes to deep dermal stimulation, you want to actually minimize the stuff that you hit collaterally. Right. Actually, that was my question. So with the CO2 laser, again, you're just affecting the epidermis. It's not going deeper than that, presumably. So you're not stirring up those um, melanocytes. Well, sorry, with the CO2, CO2 basically, you can be dialed in for epidermis. Um, but most of the time we're in the papillary dermis uh, mm. with that. So, so the upper part of the dermis. Okay. 
So it does stir up melanocytes because the, your cremophores water generates a lot of heat. Um, but if all the CO2 lasers can get into the pulse duration and all that, but it, it's, it, to put it simply, uh, you're going to get more heat generation from the CO2 with collateral damage to your melanocytes. So we want to keep things conservative. That's why I've got PIH with it because I've stood up some melanocytes temporarily. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, before we went live, you mentioned some of the peels that you use in combination with these laser treatments as well. Can you just speak on those a little bit? Yeah, so the old-fashioned peels, the TCA and the, the you know, Jessner TCA, most people don't do them now, um, and it's been replaced by novel peels, uh, something like the Cosmolan or the Dermamolan, basically combination peels, which, which the patient uh, applies or we apply in clinic. Um, and generally speaking, they peel for a period of uh, between three to seven days. Um, so that's more of a gentle peel. Uh, once again, that's in the interest of the melanocyte. So we don't want to upset the melanocyte with, with chemicals or chemical peeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically want to exfoliate the pigment and suppress the melanocyte. Great. Perfect. Just got a couple of yeah. listener questions. Um, yeah, yeah. To be honest, we've covered most of them. Um, one of them was specifically from Maurizio. He's in Germany, I think in Hamburg. Um oh. We pretty much answer it. Your experience with the thulium laser, um, is it your first line therapy, uh, for, um, presumably laser? Yeah. No, it's, it's the, it's the, uh, the Q-switch laser. I think just not what I do, so I guess, in the literature as well. Um, so I like to base a lot of what I do is probably you know, with mainstream stuff. And um, most of us would say it's the nano Q-switch, even before the Pico. Yeah. So the nano spectra, first line, probably 95% of cases. Okay, uh, good question here again from Maurizio. What's you know what's your skin preconditioning protocol before embarking on laser, particularly for, for melasma treatments? Do you have to prep the skin? Are you using vitamin A, B, C, retinol, anything else? No, no. no the answer is no. The reason being is that we're using very low fluences, very low parameters. So once again, we're not upsetting the melanocyte. We're not we're not um, provoking it. All we want to do is quieten it down. Yeah. So in the context of melasma. The answer is uh, no skin prep required prior to laser. Just as long as you, as long as the patient's educated, you start off with the foundation, which is your um, sunscreens, and then go up from there. Perfect. Uh, there's another question. Their username is Wakayo. Okay. <laughs> I don't know their real name. Sorry about this because they've got no followers and no posts. Um, they were questioning about Indian skin particularly. So presumably the lasers that we've just discussed, they're good for all skin types, but is, is there any sort of precautions or, or things that people should worry about? Yeah, um, usually. So first, first of all, the, the wavelengths, I stick to the 1064, goes, it goes deeper um, and conservative fluences. So what you would do in a lighter skin type in the context of melasma, um, dial it down by 20, 30% in darker skin type. Right. It is safe at that, at that setting, 100% safe. Brilliant. So just to summarize, if, if you're a patient suffering with melasma and you're sat at home pulling your hair out, what, <laughs> what should you do? What are the steps that you can do at home and when should you seek you know, a laser guru like yourself? Yeah, I think what you brought up in the beginning, how traumatic this condition is, is uh, not to be, um, I guess, uh, undermined. I think from a patient's point of view, the biggest win for them this is why I tell patients, if you really want to do something at home, take a photo of your melasma in, in good lighting so you, you've got a standardized photo. Start off with uh, sun protection, really good sun protection. You will notice a change. Yeah. Yeah. From there, you might want to use over-the-counter preparations, and there's a whole heap of them. Uh, and if it doesn't get better, you're onto that um, plateau. 
um, GP or you know a good cosmetic physician can help. Uh, and then from there, if you're stuck, um, probably a derm who's got experience in treating melasma. Brilliant. And Nick, final words from yourself. So if people have been listening thinking, wow, that laser <laughs> sounds awesome. I need to get involved or be trained. What do they do? Well, look, there's a couple of options. You can always uh, make an inquiry online through Advanced Cosmeceuticals or Lutronic Australia. Or if I'm more than happy for people to contact me directly. I know you guys mentioned last time that's a bit of a brave move, but again, I'm more than willing. So I'm happy to pass on my details. I'm not sure if I can yep, that say it now. now. Or, Please uh, say it now and we'll add it to our post as well. Absolutely. So anyone can contact me uh, on my mobile, which is uh, zero, uh, plus six one. Four triple zero nine one, sorry nine one two one five, or my email, which is just my name N Dubinin, which is N D U B I N I N at lutronicaustralia.com.au. I'm more than happy to either help you direct or refer you to one of my colleagues who can help you. Um, and just as a parting note, so we do have a very special offer for all Inside Aesthetic viewers and listeners rather today. Um, and as, again, as a result of um, you know doing this podcast with uh, Davin. So we're going to be offering uh, special pricing, extra complimentary warranties, uh, those types of things for anyone who is wanting to look at a electronic platform for their device um, as a result of listening into this podcast. Best way to take advantage of that would just be to contact myself directly and I'll be able to talk through all the details. Amazing. Yeah. Super generous. We yeah. appreciate that. And obviously they have to mention that they heard about it on the podcast so they don't get the special deal. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you use the code Davin Lim yet, so um, that, that's, okay. <laughs> that's good. IA slash Davin Lim, and then I will know that I need to give you a discount and a special offer. <laughs> the, only, the only proviso is that is if we were to receive a deposit by the end of March. Okay, sounds uh, fair enough. Are, are any of these um, government incentives still in place, or have they ended now at Christmas? No, it is. So the government's been very generous and extended it uh, at this stage to the end of June. So what does that mean uh, for people? What, what? Just break it down. Okay, so that means if they were to uh, purchase a piece of capital equipment like any of our lasers, they can um, instantly write off uh, that purchase up to the value of $150,000, um, which means that then essentially they're not having to wait to, you know, um, uh, depreciate the asset. So it's really a way to be more tax effective with managing your cash flows in your business. Mm -hmm. So it's a good good chance for anyone to actually acquire a piece of equipment up again up until the end of June and receive some benefits and incentives from the government. I don't think it's going to be extended much past June. Yep. They've, they've done it for a year and a half now, so I think that's pretty much it. Mm. Awesome. What about um, assistance with people leasing or if they want to upgrade their equipment later on? Is there like a, a process you can help them with that? Absolutely. So upgrades is all based on the um, negotiation on which equipment is going to be upgraded. Yep. Uh, we do offer for approved customers in-house finance. But okay. again, that That's needs great. to be uh, discussed with myself. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be up to a two-year finance option. Alternatively, I have some uh, amazing financiers which I work, work with who specialize in capital equipment uh, leasing. I think you, you had Tim uh, from TLC on yes. recently. Is a good friend, so yeah. people like that can definitely help. And um, again, that's an easy phone call or referral email away. Brilliant. Fantastic! Well, a lot of great information there, um, Davin. I mean, I'm sure that everyone, if no one's heard of you, they've been living under a rock. But um, in case they haven't, how do they how do they get in touch with you if they want to talk about the melasma issues or any other skin conditions they might be concerned about? Yeah, Davin needs some more followers. He's struggling a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you need another million. Yeah. <laughs> 
I guess I guess for, for practitioners um my at uh, 101.skin yeah. I do post up some updates uh, I try to do it every day yeah. uh and then for patients uh at uh, Dr. Davin Lim so I, I I've got two Instagram accounts that way I can talk to both uh, both parties yeah. yeah brilliant and if people are actually up in Brizzy or Queensland and they think that you might want to visit how would they come and contact your clinic uh, first point of contact is probably uh, either my nurses or therapists, uh, Clinic Cubis, so C-U-T-I-S, Latin for skin. Um, they're very, very good. All the complex cases, I'm more than happy to see. Brilliant. Well, guys, thanks so much for, again, joining us. We're, you're like part of the alumni club now. So uh, <laughs> actually, Davin, this is your third. So you're almost Trifecta. up there in like the Hall of Fame. So, oh, well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mate. No, so we appreciate it. Uh, always you. great talking to you, boys. Thank Seriously. you. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye-bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.